everybody. Welcome back to Beers and Careers. Mark Agustinelli here, your host. And as always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the good folks at the Davis Companies. You've probably heard there's a bit of a talent shortage going on with um, almost two open jobs for every person looking for work, uh, which has created quite a tight supply of labor. So if you're looking for help in IT, engineering, and manufacturing, certainly reach out to the good folks at Davis for your next project or open role. That's www.daviscoes.com, D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Today's guest, Cosmo Santulo, uh, all affectionately known as Cos. Um, awesome story um, of the son of a uh, immigrant butcher um, who uh, really worked his way into a very competitive uh, world at IBM where he was there for 20 plus years, um, rising to the rank of executive, moving 10 times in that in that 20 plus year stint. And uh, his story is phenomenal. I think he's got really good um, advice for the recent college grad. He's also got a really inspiring, inspiring story of really recognizing who you are and what you do. And, and I think that there's much more to those two small phrases and you'll, you'll get that in the podcast. Um, and then he had a phenomenal uh, talk about some um, situational uh, situational fluency and my favorite tip from a management standpoint that he gave, which was flying in formation. Uh, so check those out. Uh, let me know what you think of the podcast. He was a blast to talk to and a wealth of information. Thanks. All right. Cause cheers. Hey Mark. Welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming on beers and careers, my man. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, so Cosmo Santal. Did I pronounce that right? Santulo. Santulo, Santulo. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Which is Brad, when your last name's Augustinelli, you should get those oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, introduced to me, and before we get into your background, Kaz, and uh, and share with the group how, why we thought it made sense for you to come on this, this podcast, get some rapid-fire questions we ask everyone. Do you have a favorite drink? Or a co- We're on beers and careers, okay. and I know you're drinking a Diet Pepsi. Yeah, well, you know, like everybody, I was probably a pretty good college partier when it came to the drinking days. And I have to say, since then, uh, probably would be, uh, I like a good red wine. Okay. You know, I've finally become a little Italian. Yeah. My dad would be proud of me. He's yeah. long gone, but if he saw me drinking the Barolos and the Amarones, I think he'd say, wow, the kid made it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. He matured. That's too good. Now, do you have a favorite curse word? Uh, no, not really. (laughs) I can't think of any that people would associate with me. There we go. That's fair. Are you a quote guy? Any quotes that uh, come to mind or resonate with you? It's funny. I'll give you the one that I used once at a wedding. I said, live the journey for every destination is but a doorway to another. Mm. And uh, I said it to mm. my buddy and his girlfriend because life is short and we worry about where we're going. And sometimes it's the journey that's the most important. Mm-hmm. And you know who gave me that quote? Who? A character you probably don't know, but when my 39-year-old was six years old, his favorite cartoon was He-Man. Okay. And He-Man said that at the end of a, one of his shows. And I said, wow. Wow. That He-Man's a pretty smart it's guy. He's a pretty smart guy. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Do you remind? Do you think of that often? I've used it, you know, a lot of times when people talk about what they got to get done and what they got to get done. And mm-hmm. I say, you know, yeah. life is short, my friend. Enjoy the ride. Yeah. Enjoy the ride. I, That's the best part. I love that. I love, well, our mutual connection, Bob Davis, who introduced us, uh, he's a big, he's a big live the journey kind of guy. I think uh, one of his boats, the, the Dash, right, was the name of his boat because uh-huh. that's the, uh, the time in between your birth year and your death year is the Dash. He's like, that's all that matters. So guys like he and I are thinking about it a lot more lately. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, What was your first job? So you mean before school? Anything. anything Like with the first time someone paid you to do something? Yeah, I was a newspaper boy. I delivered the New York Post and a paper called the Herald Statesman in Westchester County, New York. My mom, by the way, lives in the same apartment I was born in, in Yonkers, New York still. 68 years she's been there. And um, from probably about age 9 to 11, I delivered newspapers. And I used to run to get them done quick so I could be with my friends. When I got to high school, I found out I was pretty fast. The track coach said you need to run on the track team. And I didn't know I was a sprinter, but I ended up becoming a high school and college sprinter because of delivering those newspapers. No way. Where did you go to college? I went to school in Princeton. Okay. In New Jersey. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so and so, you just parlayed it the whole way into sprinting. I, you know, I ran it like some freshman thing in high school, and I beat 
the what would have been the equivalent of the varsity captain's 200 meter time. Wow. And the track coach came over and said, you're on the track team. I didn't know what track was. Yeah. You never know how one thing goes and leads to another, it's, right? It is the Delivering truth. It's just taking shots. Now, uh, were you always a 200 meter guy? Was 100, that... 200 meters. Yeah. Re- I like relays. I'm a team guy. Yeah, okay. So my most fun for me, not a lot of people talk track because if you don't run it, it's like swimming. Yeah, you don't, but, people don't but, get but it. But I love the, uh, I love the relays. Even uh, more, I played football and high school and college, but I think track had that special. Mm, that was your, thing. that was yeah, your sport. I think, believe it or not. No, I do. I do. Well, I went to a uh, local high school here that had a very prominent track team. So it was a, it was a huge team, but also well decorated. So they kind of had like, I don't want to say like an ego from a negative sense, but there was certainly a weight that they carried in the org. It was pre- it was pretty cool. The first time I saw someone run a 400 in like 53 seconds or whatever, I was like, uh, my I remember being like, wow, I didn't realize people could run that fast as a 17-year-old kid. Yeah, so. they wanted me to run the quarter, but to me, it was more than a sprint. It was a lot of work. I, I ran it. I ran the mile relays once in a while in high school and college. But it's funny, the track thing, I got a, co- a call during COVID from the current track coach in my high school, who I never knew, who wanted to find out all about our team back in the 70s because we still held all these relay records in Westchester County, New York, which, as you can imagine, with schools like Mount Vernon and White Plains and New Rochelle, Mm -hmm. there's some pretty fast kids down there. Yes. And he said, what was it with you four guys that made you so special? Did it was you, kind of flattering. You, I said, you're the only person in 40 years to ask me about my track career. My kids don't even care. Did you so, tell him to get everyone delivered newspapers? Well, he <laughs> found all these articles that he was sending to me that I sent to my family. Because I never oh, saw any of that What a stuff. cool trip down memory lane, yeah, though. it was oh, kind of fun. That's anyway, really cool. we don't want to talk no, about that's, track. No, we don't. It's just back to that first job. Yeah, okay. And um, I think uh, last, and you know, you know what? Let's just start with like, I know I was introduced to you as a guy who spent quite a bit of time at IBM with, with a big business, but can you maybe give us more of an overview of you ran track in high school and college, you went to college, what'd you graduate with? And then how, maybe some of your uh, stops along your career. Yeah. To, to get yeah I was very here. fortunate. I had a great high school, couple of coaches that uh, told me I'd, I'd do well in a school like Princeton and financially my parents had no money. Mm-hmm. My dad was a self-employed butcher and they said that th- if you get in, they'll take care of you. So I was lucky to go. I, to this day, I still know how lucky I was. Mm. I graduated as an engineer. I always loved math and science, but uh, I grew up in Westchester County, which was the home of IBM. Yes. And um, I only interviewed with IBM out of college because I said, that's probably where I belong. So I actually started in sales at IBM. And, and what uh, was your engineering degree in? It was in industrial engineering, so okay. it was kind of Q in yeah. theory. I always say my job was to decide how many toll booths you need at the bridge or how quick to move people through a parking lot. So yes. whenever I go to a jet game on Sunday and the crowd's stuck in traffic, I go, I'm supposed to be able to fix this problem. Now, <laughs> when did you realize that? Were you in college when you realized I'm getting this degree, but I'm not going to use it? Yeah, I knew, uh, again, I knew what I enjoyed. That's why I studied math and science. Yes. But I knew that I wanted to make money. I knew I loved management and leadership. Mm-hmm. I worked at the pub at the university. I started okay. in the cafeteria, and I worked my way up. I managed. We had a pub at Princeton back then. They don't wow, have one anymore. Yeah, very cool. So I was the pub manager, and I managed a team of student workers. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in a leadership position somewhere. and. Okay. I felt the way to get there wasn't engineering, but through the sales and marketing of some organization. And that's what I knew IBM was famous for. Mm-hmm. So right. I had a, a pretty traditional, in one way, career at IBM. In 20 years, my wife and I moved 10 times. Okay. So every two years, I moved wow. for a new job. Wow. So we owned 10 homes, which doesn't happen as much anymore. No. But it was very uh, non-traditional in the sense that um, I typically chose the path least chosen to get where I was going. I, um, IBM was very structured in uh, what I'll call line, a line job, a field job, and a headquarters job. Okay. And so you do a field job for a few years, then you do a headquarters job. Then you go back to the field, and you mm-hmm. do another field job as a manager, then a director, vice president, et cetera. I did that path, line, field, but whenever I chose a, a headquarters job, I chose something 
very different than the guys I was competing against. Mm. A lot of my friends would say, well, you got to go into marketing if you're in sales. And I said, no, I'm going to go into finance. Ah. They go, but you're not a finance guy. I go, yeah, but if you're going to be a general manager someday, you better learn finance in Mm. IBM. Or at one time, we were a very big product company at IBM. Well, today, IBM is a very big services company. I was one of the first field executives to go into the services business. And all my friends thought I was kind of nutty. They go, why would you do Well, after I took that job and got promoted pretty quickly, mm. they all were calling going, how do we get Kaz's old job? Wow. Because they realized that it was a new path. So I think sometimes you have to recognize that um, even to do the things that you think you want to do that look very traditional, there mm. may be new different ways to get there. Now, did you, like, what was the... Ge- I, I'm kind of listening to you say that, and part of me is going, that's cause reflecting to a degree about how he made those decisions. I imagine that was difficult in the beginning. Like, your 20-year career, maybe in the back half, it was like, nope, I know what to do. I'm going to go get my finance or whatever. But in the beginning, when everyone's competing for that next job, where did the motivation, wherewithal come from to choose the path less travel was there a mentorship was it really gut intuition like how did you get there great word uh, he i don't think he thought of me uh as a mentee yes but early in my career there was a gentleman named tom esposito who i okay. ended up working for three times in 20 years at ibm who um typically would say things like cause you should go do that okay and i'd say well i thought i wanted one of these jobs and he said you don't need to do that he said, you'd be really good at the marketing thing. And everybody knows. He said, go learn some new things. Mm. So I was fortunate that he looked at it and said, and he said, you'll be exposed to people that the rest of the group won't be exposed to that are competing for the next job. You can imagine at IBM, we got 5,000 sales guys now competing for 800 management jobs, then competing for 200 branch manager, regional manager, then competing for 50. And it was the same guys most of my career, who I still love today, many I keep in touch with. But it was a very competitive environment where you had to differentiate who you were. Mm. And and my mentor, let's call him that for lack of a better word, was good at, at calling me, and I trusted him. Okay. When Tom yeah. called, you know, my wife would say, what's up? And I go, Espo wants me to go to New York and do this. And she goes, is that a good job? I go, let's give it a shot. Mm. You know, plus it's confidence. You got to believe in yourself too, right? Yes. You got to say to yourself, I'm going to earn the right in that next position. Mm -hmm. I go in on the bottom, but I'll figure it out. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I'll figure it out. Of all the places you moved to, what was your favorite? I tell everybody that Pittsburgh is the best kept secret in the United States. Okay. It's a big little city that, I call it East Coast ethnicity with Midwest friendliness. Mm. And, you know, I saw everything from Luciano Pavarotti to Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. You can go to opera and you can go to rock and roll and and it's a beautiful city if you've Mm. never been there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure people think of Pittsburgh and think of the 40s and the 50s and the steel industry. But it really is a fabulous place and the people were just special. So... I always say it's my favorite spot, and people are shocked. Yeah, that, like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, on the flip side, and this isn't the point of the podcast, but I'm just interested. Yeah. Where did you Where did you regret moving to? You know, I I, uh, I think I'm considered maybe overly positive. I, I don't ever regret any yeah. decision you make. I think uh, you make the best of everything. And I didn't live in Glamour. Yeah. I lived in Scranton. Okay. Trenton. Pittsburgh, Cleveland. When I say those cities, the the president of North America, IBM, I once said to him, Bob, how come I go to all these cities and my buddies go to Columbus and San Diego and Atlanta? And he looked at me and he said, Kaz, you're my fixer. And I said, Mm. what does that mean? And he said, these are cities that were once great in the old days at IBM, and they've just had some tough times. He goes, and you're the kind of guy that I know goes in there, and whether it's the, you know, manager at the candy store, the CEO of the bank, they seem to connect to you. And mm. that's what I need in that city is I need the young and the old to realize yeah. we're going to have to change. Connect, connect. So it was people. a compliment yeah. in a way, Yeah. but they weren't the prettiest places in yeah. the world. But enthusiasm is uh, is quite a skill. It well, is. It, and, it, it, and, and I think honesty in, in people knowing that you did what you did because you cared about them. Mm-hmm. You know, they used to joke that I was a fast track career guy and just moving through the city for two years and I'd be gone. Mm. But the ones, the people that got to know me best knew that 
when I was there, that was my home. Yes. I made it my home in every yes. way I could. Yeah. You were do you were uh Taking it day by day there. Yeah. Not looking Making forward. Making the best of yeah, it. Yeah, living the journey, as yeah, we might say. Exactly. Now, can you share about what your role was at IBM? Because I know that yeah. was like the vast majority of the chunk of your career. And like, what, what were you? Well, I started. I mean, you had obviously many roles, but. Yeah, I started knocking on doors. Yes. Uh, I did jobs where I was an executive assistant to a very senior executive, had to advise him on all kinds of things that were going on in the business and speeches he was putting together. Wow. I did organizational jobs where I helped us restructure. IBM was always restructuring. Um, but sales management, branch management, regional management. I ran the state of Ohio for IBM when there were basically about 50 of us running the United States for IBM. Wow. And my last, I lived in Japan for two years with IBM in Tokyo, and I ran an industry for all of Asia Pacific. And then last... I ran the personal computer business in North America for IBM when I left. Oh. So I had uh, I went from being a single employee to having probably about six thousand employees when I ran the PC business out of uh, Raleigh. Wow! Um, and that's ironically when I left IBM. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, through that through that amazing change of being a single employee to having six hundred yeah. six thousand folks on like what didn't change about your I, I hope when I went back to Yonkers, New York, my high school and grammar school buddies still thought I was cause. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and some of them actually said that. They go, God, we're real proud of you. It sounds like you've had a great career, but they'd still invite me to play poker on mm -hmm. Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't want to lose that. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that's still who I am I, to I, this day. I love that. Did, when you got to IBM, I think that IBM had such a cultural influence at the time too, right? You said, I only interviewed at one place. Yeah. And, and was it a job at any point in time or what, from day one where you're like, this is my career? No, I, uh, it, it's really interesting that the, the structure in IBM that was very powerful in the 80s was something called the branch office. Mm -hmm. So a uh, branch office was 100 to 300 people. In New York City, there may have been 20 branches, okay. one for banking, one for media. But in cities like Pittsburgh, there were two of us. Right. You know, or in cities like Omaha, there was one branch office. And I went to work in, uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, right out of school there. And the branch manager pulled me in his office and said, uh, what do you want to do in five years? First time I met him. And I said, I want your job. Mm. And he laughed. And he goes, well, what makes you think you do my job? And I said, because I think I'd be really good at running an office of 100 people and being successful. So he says, well, you got a few things you got to accomplish before that. Ironically, two years later, I received a commission check, which I still have for $2.71, when the average commission check was in the thousands. Mm. And I thought about leaving IBM. Mm. I didn't think I could sell. Interesting. And, and that same branch manager called me in the office and he said, you know, Kaz, Bernie knows you can do it, who is my boss. I know you can do it. We don't think you believe you can do it. Mm. And he said, until you do. It's not going to change. Wow. And uh, so it wasn't the easiest times. Mm -hmm. But I then went and had 36 months of making my objective, moving out of that job and moving on, and actually became one of the younger managers in the company a couple of years later. Right. So Even with to, a slow start, so right. to speak. To yeah. this day, George Gagel, it's yeah. funny how I haven't said that name in yeah. 30 years, you know, first challenged me the first day I was on the job and then challenged me two years later mm. that... that the only thing in my way was me. It, that, so. It's it's interesting because I think um, I'm a, I'm technically a millennial, and uh, I think even the younger generations, it's very different. The 20 year employee is is not um, as much of a common thing in today's right. day and age. Look, I'm in staffing, right? So I move people all the time. <laughs> but but at the end, of, but I also think there's a you talk to some people, especially young people, let's say less than 10 years of career experience, and they're bouncing from job to job, not the right fit, it's hard, I'm struggling here. And I, uh, I had a similar moment where I remember being, I was at my parents' dining room table, I was working here, I was about 18 months into the sales job, and my dad goes, how's it going? And I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna make it. Right. Like, I just don't, I don't know. And, uh, and I don't know exactly what he said, but I remember leaving the dinner table going with the, the thought process of him being like, things take time. Like things, things don't just happen. And like in this immediate gratification world you're used to. And the next six months were the best six months I had. And then from there on, it was like, I got the confidence where it was less of a job 
for me because it right. wasn't just a paycheck and it was more like, okay, I can, what I put into this, I'm going to get out of it and it became more of a career. So I, I find that really interesting because although we're on a podcast documenting people's career paths changing, sometimes the change isn't necessarily a new company name or a new manager, but it's a new skill set or tackling a problem you have in a current role. And each time you change jobs, I mean, I used to say, when I moved into a new position, I looked around the room and all my idols were in the room because mm. they were the people I wanted to be someday. Yes. And now I realized I was the worst of the group. Mm. And the best, the most flattering thing to me was a year or two later when Joe Wignot, another name I haven't said, who was the branch manager in Pittsburgh, I mean in Harrisburg, and I was in Pittsburgh, came to me and said, Kaz, what did you do on that project last year I, or last month? I heard about it, and it sounded fabulous how you solved that problem. Mm. And I'm saying to myself, Joe Wignot's asking me for my advice. Right. And I realized, gee, I had made it. Yes. At that level. Yes. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of get there over time by earning the right. Mm -hmm. You know, get, you're not there in the beginning. Mm. My first first-line management job, they did an employee opinion survey, and IBM was real tough. And all my, I had all employees that were much older than me, and they tore me apart in the opinion survey and after six months. And I remember I said, I must have had the worst management survey in the company. And you have to then meet with your group employees and ask them how you can do better. And, and it's wow. a long story. I'll, wow. I'll bore you with the story. I won't bore you with the story, but the net of it is... They all laughed and joked and said, Kaj, you're not that bad a guy, but this is Scranton, Pennsylvania, and we're an old coal town, and we don't like management. We like you because oh. you're Kaz, but we don't like you because you're the manager. No but way. But when I left two years later, they actually presented me with a plaque that's one of the few things I've kept today that that it, it's a no, story I'll tell you offline. Someday. Yeah, really But it was cool. really the ultimate compliment that to the guy who had made it in the town that is very cynical mm. of new people coming to our town and telling us what to do. Right. Oh. So there were, to answer your question originally, you know, were there moments? There were moments every time you changed jobs. Yes. I, you know, yeah. you started over again within an organization, and you had yeah. to respect that. Yeah. Did it? Did that feeling ever get normal when you jumped to a job? Say you jumped to your fifth or sixth. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. this is that normal ninety day haze. No, I I would say it got normal. After the third, or fourth, After the third fourth one, because yeah. I, you know, I kind of understood the system and mm. I knew the players, and that's what was wonderful about IBM. You were always learning. Um, when I left IBM, I remember a lot of people saying, "We love grabbing former IBMers. We actually like getting them once removed from IBM because uh, sometimes they first come out and they're so used to being structure the the support system of IBM. Okay, we like to see them go out there and fail for a while, and then we love hiring them because their knowledge is so strong. Mm. But they need to see what the real world's like, and I kind of went through the same experience. So okay, you know, interesting. It, it helped. Yeah. It helped kind of seeing the world one way when you first get out, and then realizing what you do know and don't know. Right. So you end your time at IBM in the personal computer business. How's that wind down for you? Yeah, I leave after 20 years because uh, to me, I was about performance, not politics. Yes. And I realized I moved for 20 years because I was the best at what I did each time. And as you get closer to the top, it's who you play golf with and who you go skiing with and who you drink with. And I went home on the Friday night and wanted to go to my kids' basketball game. Yeah. And I wanted to coach my kids' sports. And... My job was my job. And I remember when I left, I told the head of North America, uh, you know, I said, John, I'm not political. And he goes, Kaz, you think I am? And, and uh, he wasn't at all either. Um, and I said, it's just time for me to go do something else. Mm. So um, I ended up going to another technology company called EMC yes. out of Boston, yes. a large storage company. We're, and very, was, we're very familiar with I them around senior, these parts. I, yeah, yeah. Right here yeah. in Hopkinton. I was senior uh, vice president of marketing for EMC. Okay. But culturally, it was a very different company. Uh, mm. It was a great sales company, different not to say anything bad or good, but different uh, values, I think, than IBM had. I okay. believe strongly in the IBM value system. And uh, I stayed there a year, and then I got a chance to run a startup in Woburn, Massachusetts, and that was 99. Okay. Everybody was going oh, to wow. the internet startup craze. Yeah. So I became CEO of a 50-person engineering firm. Wow. Um, so I went from the big PC business to running a startup for a small salary and a little piece of stock. And, yep. And we competed against a company called Akamai, which became very successful <sighs> yes. here in Boston. Yes. The CEO of Akamai was my old boss from IBM. Wow. So it was really interesting that he and I would be at all these banking roadshows at uh, 
you know, Lehman Brothers and Goldman Sachs, and they'd have each of us get up for 15 minutes and talk about our product. His company was worth 20 billion, the stock was really hot. We were still a private company developing technology, and he was always polite to me off camera or off stage. He'd say, Coswell, you know, you're not gonna beat us. And I'd say, George, we'll be okay, you'll be okay. There's plenty of business out there for both of us. So one of my idols became my competitor for wow. a while. Um, and we had a interesting, it was fun for me to learn that other extreme of business, but uh, 2001, the planes hit the World Trade Center, mm -hmm. as you remember, and it changed a lot of that whole startup hype that was going on in the world. It and did. So I did that for two years, ran a startup. We had some excitement. People thought we were going to be billionaires. I just wanted to run the company and make it successful. Mm. Um, but that's when I left that, that world. Did you, yeah. did, did you struggle? I'm always curious of... of um, did you, uh, how do I phrase this correctly? I love rules, but I love to break them. Okay. But I, but I, but I like, I like to, t I like to pe people to tell me what the field is that I have to play on, but I'm not necessarily going to listen to all the rules. Did you find it difficult coming from such a structured world of IBM where the rules were set to a degree and then you're in a startup where now you're the guy responsible for the rules? You know, I was just ready. That's why okay. I left IBM. I used to joke that I couldn't take a $100 price action for the personal computer at IBM in September when I was watching Dell and Compaq come out there and be more competitive. Mm. And I had to go to six CFOs within IBM to get this price decision. Yeah. And I knew it was the right thing to do. So right. I think... Autonomy for, for you was the big For me, driver. it was time. I yeah. wanted to earn the right... I remember I got hired... Years later, just to fast forward, because there were a lot of startups I ran. Okay. I ran a, couple, a small public company as CEO. We could talk about who you are and what you do. Mm. It's very important to me, the difference. Mm. But I finally realized who I was towards the end of my career. Didn't want to worry about you know competing for a big job just because it was there. Yes. I wanted to do what I was good at. And I went to become the head of sales and services for a company called BMC. Okay. So all these three letters. Yeah. BMC is a <laughs> software company. You're calling. BMC Software was out of Houston. We were a okay. $2 billion software company. Whoa. I had 3,000 people in my organization. So although most people have never heard of them, we're a no. big software company. Yeah. We were top 10 in, in the United States. Wow. Um, and I remember when I, when I went there, you know, just thinking about this is really where I belong, and I said to the CEO when he interviewed, I said, this is what I'm good at. And he goes, that's what I need. I said, well then, let me do my job, and if I don't, fire me. Mm. And I said, because he was there from originally being oh. a salesman, okay. so I had heard that he just micromanages. So I said, mm. Bob, my only thing, I'm not going to take this job. You don't need me here. You're going to pay me a lot of money. Yeah, don't tell me what to do. Leave me alone. Yeah. And if I don't do what you need me to do, mm -hmm. fire me. Yes. That's your prerogative. Yes. And he said, as a matter of fact, once in a while we were talking, because we had to let a lot of people go. And I remember he um, came to me and he said, I'm not telling you what to do, but there's this one guy. And I said, Bob, you're the CEO. Yeah. And he goes, well, I remember what we said during the interview. So it stuck with him mm. as much as it stuck with me. Interesting. That, you know, I wanted to... I wanted to make sure I was the right guy. And if yes. I was, that that was the problem you needed to solve, then trust me, give me enough time to do it. To do it, yeah. yeah. And that's the most fun, the most rewarding, especially when you're the, the most proud I am in my life was that BMC job. I developed a group of vice presidents that went on and made much more money than I ever made in my life leaving. Mm. I left that company and retired, semi-retired. They all left and went on and did great things. Wow. And to this day, I get calls from them, and it's the greatest feeling in the world to know that you were able to develop a young executive that goes on and mm. blows away your career. Did you have to hire most of those people? Were some of them there? Yeah, so when I got there, there were 33 vice presidents in my organization. When okay. I left, there were 13 because it was Whoa. way inflated. Whoa. We had just bought a lot of companies, and we had too many. Uh, my predecessor did not step up to restructuring the organization. And yeah. unfortunately, I'm a generation that grew up during restructuring, the 80s yes. and the 90s, yes. and then going into 2000s, I had to right size. Mm -hmm. That's my career skill. Yeah. But I had to do more with less. Mm -hmm. I got there, there were 3,000 people. I left, there were 2,000 people, mm -hmm. but the, they were retrained. They were better at what they did, and we generated $500 million more than the two years prior. Wow. So 
So the same thing with my management team. Uh, of the 13 that were there when I left, 10 were part of the original 33. Okay. So I was a big believer in giving the people there a chance. They were all in different jobs than when I got there. Okay. Um, I found out what I thought was best in their skill or missing in their talents and tried to help them with that. And then I only brought in a couple of people. Matter of fact, it was the only time in my life I ever hired someone from IBM in all the years I had been with IBM and out of IBM. I hired a woman to run my channels business because back in the days of the 90s, I remember how talented... She was. Wow. And I asked the headhunter to go find her for me. Oh, I love that. Yeah, but I, I shout built, out headhunters, by the there way. You go. <laughs> <laughs> but I built that team from the team that was there, and, and I think they appreciated that. As a matter of fact, most of them had a career there, and when I left, half of them left within the next year, and a mm. couple told me they walked into the CEO's office and said, "If Kaz isn't here, we I'm don't want to be here go. anymore." And that mm. was the greatest form of flattery. Yeah, it's quite that's quite a compliment. I, I'm very interested. As a leader, and I think there are people uh, who listen to this podcast that are very interested in leadership, how you said it. You said, I looked at those people and I figured out what they were really good at. How, how do you go about, maybe at a high level, assessing talent, giving feedback, and coaching and developing to create that team? Because it, yeah. it's one thing to look back on it and be like, it was the best accomplishment of my career. It's a, it, that's a challenging job. And, it, and it's because it's not tangible. At, at, you know, it's not like I got to make this iPad screen bigger. Right. You know, it's very, it's very much you're working with what you got. So I'm interested in your philosophy of, of how you uh, lead and manage that way. Yeah. The best example, again, would be this BMC yes. software company yeah. because they had acquired about 10 other companies. So they were a hodgepodge of businesses. And my first 90 days there, I said, I don't, all the vice presidents were telling me what was wrong. Yeah, And I said, guys, no disrespect, but if you knew what was wrong, why didn't you all fix it? Right. So I said, I'm going to go out and ask the people. Mm. I went around the world, literally around the world, and just sat and did roundtables. And in the roundtables, I didn't just invite my organization. If I was in London, I invited finance people and manufacturing people and whatever. And I'd say, Mark, how long have you been with BMC? And what do you think we're doing well or not? And uh, when I got back, my management team was terrified because they I said, bet. what did he learn? Right. <laughs> you know, he looked under the covers. That's right. He was asking these, but they don't know anything. You right. know? But I said, you know, I've got to believe that they're the closest to the customer. Mm. And my instincts may be wrong, but my IBM culture always taught me respect for the individual and customer excellence. Mm. And I said, so I trust our people and I trust mm -hmm. that the customers know what they want. So we started talking about organization. We started talking about what we could do better. I guess what I'm answering your question by saying, Mark, is that I didn't focus on my 11 executives or my 30 executives first. Yeah. I focused on the job I needed to accomplish. We needed to make this company profitable again. We needed to get more efficient. We needed to drive new products. So I looked at the strategy that I was hired to create, mm -hmm. and I said... If we all get around that, and I think they learned from me by watching kind of my priority. Yeah. And that my priority was the people, the customer, and then how to go ahead, whether it was the federal government team in Washington or the Italian team in Rome, how the uniquenesses of the federal team versus the Italian team had to be considered. And mm -hmm. we had to trust local management to you do know, that. for some of the things that, it, but within a, what I called flying in formation. Yes. I mean, you couldn't be haphazard. You had to yeah. you had to have these roles, and they had to accomplish these things. You had to have these processes, and you had to have these measurements. Mm. And if you had those three things, then you can, within your own culture and organization. And I think over time, yeah. from a group of leaders, I remember my number two guy, who was kind of my sales ops guy, he walks in my office the first day, and he goes, Kaz, I'm your... Sales ops guy, I take care of everything for you. You don't have to worry about anything. And I go, well, Bill, that's great, but I'm going to take care of everything from now on. Because yeah, that's why I was that's my job. I, and he looked at me like, well, I got to tell you, Mark, six months later, and to this day, he's one of my closest friends in the world because he, he absorbed what I just described mm. and then he responded to it. Yeah. So he could come in my office on a Tuesday night and I'd say, you know, Bill, I was thinking about this thing with our inside sales team. It doesn't make sense. You remember what they were doing in, in uh, Paris when you and I were there last month? And there was some creative things going on. The next day, he would walk in my office with a 10-page PowerPoint presentation about how to replicate mm. that model. 
Mm. So I sat there and I said, my God, this guy is smart. Yes. And, uh, and he wants I, it. But I helped him take his knowledge and apply it differently, I think. Yes. I remember the woman that ran education for me. She walked in and said, here's our kickoff for how we're going to train our salespeople. And it was PowerPoints and whatever. And I go, Kath, we're not doing that. And she looked heartbroken. She goes, because that's how we do it every year. I go, well, guess what? I wasn't hired because the way we do it every year works. Right. I said, Kath, we need to go out there and do something different. We need to think differently about how we train our salespeople. Mm. And when I left, I thought she'd be so happy that ding dong, the witch is dead. When yes, I left yes, company. yes, yes. She walks in my office crying. And I remember and I go, Kath, what's wrong? And she goes, I'm going to miss you. She goes, I was never better than I was mm. working with you. And I go, Kath, I'm shocked. I yeah. said, you must have gone home at night and said to Mike, she goes, oh, I went home. I go, I hate that son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's right, exactly. but I hate that exactly. son of a bitch. <laughs> she said, she goes, so, you know, together we figured out a better way. She goes, you made me better at what I did. Mm. So that's the long-winded yes. answer to how did the executives learn? I think I didn't consciously, I, there were people I spent more attention to. Right. My best guy used to call me and say, you never call me. And I go, call Tom in Asia, ask him how often I call him. And he goes, why do you call him all the time? I go, how's Tom doing? He goes, he's having a tough year. I go, how are you doing? He goes, I'm having a great year. I said, why do I call Tom? <laughs> exactly. exactly. I said, this is not read, hard. Read between the lines. But, I, but I, I know you said you kind of gave me a long-winded answer, but I heard yeah. you, you modeled the behavior you wanted. I think you trusted your mission the whole way through, and then you and then you and your model employees kind of rose to the occasion. Is they it kind of what I heard? Yeah, yeah. and they figured out. I, this one guy that ran North America for me went on, and he lives right now in, in a piece of property that's the old Nixon estate in San Clemente. He just retired. Very, very successful. He used to call me every couple of months and paid me the ultimate compliment about four years ago. He'd always call me and say, let's put the team back together. Go mm. take a job. You're yeah. too young. You're yeah. too much energy. And I'd say, Craig, I'm done. Yeah. You know, life is short. But he called me once and he said, I was struggling with this thing. And I remember I came home and I turned to my wife and I said, what would cause do? Mm. And I said, Craig, that's the ultimate compliment. He said, Kazi, I can't tell you how many times I said that to myself. Right. What would Kaz do? Right. Uh, it's incredible. You know, so uh, hopefully that's how goosebumps. you teach. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's the way to do it. And I think uh, I think when we get in business environments, more I, I don't know why it's less than sports teams to a degree. I know you got an athletic background. Yeah. But in athletics, it's very um, easy to not want to do what everyone else is doing and fit in because you're so hell-bent on winning. And in business, it also, it, I think there's a, uh, there's a don't break the status quo. And it sounds like you in all of your places that you had to go to, it was like, well, it's not working. Yeah. You know, it, which is like a funny thing to remind people of, but difficult. It's, a, it's a difficult for them to hear that. Yeah. Well, you know, when you go to Scranton, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, you're not going to the fastest growing city. And, you know, when I went to Cleveland, Columbus... Right. was the booming city. Right. Cleveland was the has-been city. And everybody would tell me how great they were. And I go, I'm sure you were. Yes. But guess what? We're not there right now. Right. So right. we got to do something different. Let's like, be humble about all. it. Yeah. Now, I, I love that. Now, can you, you referenced it, and I want to I wanna hear you talk about the who you are, what you do piece. Because you, you, that was really clear the way you said it, so I'm, I'm guessing you have some more context yeah. around that. you know, uh, when you're at IBM, you're in this fast track. Everyone wants to get to the next job, maybe be CEO, whatever. I have a few buddies that I think should have been from my group mm -hmm. that never got the chance. Um, one of them still working today. He's one of the top guys at Salesforce.com. Wow. And uh, like a brother, I mean, was at my wedding. And, oh, very You know, cool. I've known him forever. We're in Japan together. And it's interesting because he's still a sales executive at mm. Salesforce. He was one of the first guys Mark Benioff hired wow. in the organization. And wow. And I think about this. I've been a C He was a CEO twice. I was a CEO three or four times, most recently the last job I did. But... But I'm not a manufacturing guy. I'm not a finance guy. And depending on the problem that that company needed, maybe I was the right CEO. Maybe mm. I wasn't the right one. But I had an opportunity to run a company in California where I wasn't the right CEO. They told me they had a sales problem. They had a product problem. And I uh. realized after nine months and commuting back and forth from Boston every Friday and Sunday that it was not the right job. And actually, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about CEO burnout, and they quoted me and a friend of mine in it. Um, and I wasn't really burned out. He was more burned out. I was just realizing more. I was burned out with the travel. Mm -hmm. But I was realizing that I'm a field executive. I'm a customer executive. And I did the CEO thing for a while. 
But when I interviewed at BMC with the CEO, he said to me, how do I know you don't want my job? He was a little threatened, a little bit younger than me. I said, Bob, I want to come here, fix your sales organization, fix your service organization, make a lot of money, and I'm done after that. Yeah. I said, I have no desire to run your, your business. I mm. said, I know I can fix the problems you have, and that's what I'm good at. So who you are, sometimes mm. you come to grips with, you know, yeah. what I did for a while was I was a CEO. Yes. Who I am is I'm a field guy. I'm a sales guy. Yeah. And and by the way, my mother cried when I became a salesman in 1978 yeah. out of college. Cause, out of high school. Yeah, out of college because I was the kind of kid that the Little League used to ask you to go sell yeah. stickers. To, and I never, he never knocked, did. I never knocked on anybody's <laughs> door. Now, I think I was a good salesman because I asked my father for 20 bucks and he, get, he, and he bought all 20. Exactly. So I was a volume salesman. Exactly. But I hated selling. I was never, I knew when I joined IBM, I didn't want to knock on doors and I had to for a couple of years. Mm. I knew that leadership was where I wanted to be and yes. management, you know? So that's the who you are. Yeah, what, I like what that. You do, I think. I liked it. Um, did you. Was that was that time when you left that company that needed a thought they needed sales and needed right. product? Was that when you realized who who you are? Was that the, was oh, that the was, moment or before exactly that? that. No, okay. it was exactly that because there were other CEO yeah. search firms were calling me. The Hydrics and Struggles yeah. and and um, and Russell Reynolds were calling me and going, "Cause we were placing your buddies at." CEO right. of this, CEO of that. I go, that's not what I want. Interesting. I said, I yeah. want to go do what I'm really good at, mm. you know, and I want to change a business for somebody. So I was 48 years old. I was far from dumb. I was at the peak of probably my earnings. Yes. And I was able to do that. No, that's very cool, though. I had a very good financial success for those few years. Well, and you're, and you're uh, uh, enjoying the journey part, right? The yeah. living that part. You enjoy it so much more. Yeah. When you're and not. Again, those, you're pe those are the people I remember to this day because I saw the change in them. Mm. You know? Yes. So like, as a guy who's. Uh, been in small companies, big companies, well-established startups. Like, like, you know, I know you've got kids. So, but say uh, we we play a game and uh, you're you've you've got a new grad, a fresh, a fresh 23, 24 year old. What what advice would you give them about where they're starting their career and things to consider? How how would you approach that early on, knowing what you know today? Yeah, yeah. They don't have to be 22 or 23. They're 39 and 32, <laughs> and we still have these conversations. And, and again, I'm not picking on my kids. I love my boys and my daughter, and they're all very successful, very bright, fabulous, fabulous human beings. Um, but as you said before, I think the generations are different. Um, I feel like people today are really looking for what makes them happy. Yeah. I remember... I looked for what pays the bills. Yeah, yeah. How do I feed my family? Yes, you know, I came yes. from an immigrant's parents who had nothing. And um, and I believed in myself, but I didn't know where I was going. I'm still not sure I know where I'm going, you know. Mm. But I, I tried to. I remember my son when he graduated college here in Boston. Um, he was interviewing uh, with, a, with a Highland Partners, uh, a private yeah, equity yeah. group. And um, I remember talking to him about situational fluency which is something I actually teach in sales training and I've done consulting and lecture stuff. And it's something very obvious, but whether you're 20 or 70, you can enjoy the topic. Situational fluency is kind of the subject of my son is who he is yes. and Highland Partners were who they are, but he's gonna have three different interviews. Each situation that he talks, one's with the CEO, one's with the CFO, and one's with the head of HR. And I would say to him, CJ, how do you plan on talking about yourself when you're with the CEO? How do you plan on talking about yourself when you're with the head of HR? And he'd say, Dad, what do you mean? And I said, let's talk about those people. And I won't tell you the whole story now, yeah. but I will sometime. I actually told Bob the story. And, um, and my son, and I described him in each of those interviews. And he said, Dad, you just described me better than I can describe me. I said, no, no, no. Nobody can describe you better than you can describe yourself. You just need to stop and think about what made you successful, whether mm. it was playing sports or running for an office in, in high school right. or your friendships or whatever happened to you at college. And, and at this stage right now, think the people want to know what makes you tick. Mm -hmm. and, and they're going to figure out how to apply that to their business. Right. So... Those three executives you're interviewing with today have their way of interviewing. HR kind of likes to hear your resume. Yes. The finance guy wants to know that you read the Wall Street Journal, right. that you know how to look at companies because he's the guy picking you for 
for a specific job. And the CEO was an old friend of mine, coincidentally, yeah. and as was an alum of my son's university. And I said, he's not going to care about anything except who you I said, are. I said, you know what his first question is going to be? He says, what? He said, how's your dad? Right. And then he's going to say, have you been to a basketball game at school? Because mm-hmm. you, you know. Yeah, I said, exactly. And he just wants to help you relax and get ready. Right. So, well, to find out who the real you is. Right. Yes. Situational fluency. Yes. I lo- so so I, I think it's that simple sometimes is to to get them to relax and think about they've done this so many times before without even realizing it. And now in the business world, just give the people a chance to get to know who you are. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel like the I love that situation fluency, by the way. I might need to grab you offline just to we'll do it. how, to, how to share. Yeah, that's fun. I, I uh, Because I think great salespeople have that trait innately, but it's definitely something you can learn. Well, and it's harder in the world today because another topic I talk about is consensus selling. When I learned how to become a salesman, they said, does the person have money, authority, right? All those yeah. rules. Yeah, well, yeah. guess what? There is no the person anymore. Everything is a consensus. Everything, yeah. So no matter what you're selling, you're going to go through three or four personalities that have to buy into the same concept that you're trying to sell to the one. Right. So each situation needs to be different. So right. you're selling the same product to the same company, but you got to... They perceive so I think different value harder, based on their role. It's harder for your salespeople than yes. it was for me 20 yes. years ago. That makes sense. Yeah. That, make, that makes a ton of sense. Do you Do you think that... Maybe this is a little too philosophical, but I'll ask you. Do you think that, like, uh, we talked about the generational differences and people are focused on happiness, and that certainly has to do with the wealth of our country is in a different spot and in times past. But do you feel like searching for happiness may be the wrong way to go about it? Because in I, I don't think I ever approached it as happiness. I was the same way. I was like... When I get my job, I was like, I get the fuck out of my parents' house. Like that was like that was the main goal. Was like I need to make money to to support a lifestyle that I would envision for my soon to be family one day. Right. And I feel like through the pursuit of things that maybe are more selfish or uh, very tangible at times, you kind of stumble in. You said it. You were like I figured out who I was at forty eight in right. terms of your role in the business community. Right. And I feel like uh, too oftentimes people are chasing that when in reality the path to get there is a very it can be a very different one yeah. most of the time. Do you feel similarly about that? Like, how do you think about well, that? Well, I feel like you asked a couple of questions. I did. I'm sorry. I'm well, sorry. I'll go to the happiness one first. I don't think there's anything wrong with prioritizing happiness in your life. I think that's yeah. fabulous. You know, and um, it's funny. I was driving here and. Um, I heard Stairway to Heaven, yes. which was the last song I played before I walked out on the football field every game in every, high school and uh, college. And the last words I wrote in my high school and college yearbook. And people would say, well, you're religious? I said, no. To me, Stairway to Heaven was, um, you know, how do you live your life to satisfaction, to be the best you can be, to be mm-hmm. happy, right? That was my Stairway to Heaven, right? You know, mm-hmm. thinking about... You know, you got one shot at this thing. What yeah. do you do with it? So I respect and admire, I'll call it your generation and, and those younger for wanting to make, to be happy. That a priority. Yeah. 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 And like you said, they may have more of the means, although it's tougher economically. Yeah, you're in right. Some ways. You're right. There's a real irony there. Yeah, there is. Um, I know I, when I said that, I was like, well, that's actually not true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I became, I think I, happiness for me was the second comment I made, being the best you could be. I think I just uh, always had an innate feeling that if someone could do it, I could do it. You know, mm-hmm. why not? If if you could be the starting defensive end yeah. and I'm a freshman, I'm going to, you know. I'm going to take your job. I'm going to go after yeah. that job. Or if you're going to be the regional manager in the state of Ohio, why can't I be the regional manager in the state of Ohio? And, and what do I want to do along the way, live the journey, so that I, A, develop myself broadly, but I enjoyed doing it. I, I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy working, but I didn't think about happiness. It came from being the best I could be. Right. I but think the reward you... for me was in, I wasn't the fastest guy in the world. I could have been faster probably if I worked yeah. harder in college, but but um, I, I knew where I kind of fit among the teammates, and that mm-hmm. was important to me, you know? Yeah, I, but the one thing I feel like you've... you've uh has been a theme, has been goal setting, and I would just narrow it down to drive. You seem like a very driven person. Where does that come from? Is that 
your dad yeah. running the butcher shop or your mom? Like, was that a family trait? I joke lately that I only have two switches. I'm either on or off. <laughs> yeah. And my buddies have been trying to get me back to work. I have a few private equity friends. And I go, I don't want to work 18 hours a day. And they go, you don't have to. I go, you know me too Yes, well. they can't do it. I ran a startup for, well, it's not a startup. It was a, a private company uh, in 20, how long ago was it now? 2018 for a short while for a friend of mine. And he flew me down to Texas, and I was the CEO, and we sold the company in nine months, which was his goal, bringing right. me in to help him sell it. Um, but he gave me this whole pitch on, oh, I could come down two days a week. Well, he knew once I got down there, I got a car, I got an apartment, You're done. and I never went to sleep. Right. You know? Right. It's- so so I think, yeah, whatever I've always done, mm-hmm. um, it comes from the energy that I I was born with. My dad uh, had a simple life. He was very He was very happy. Mm. He didn't work very hard because he didn't have a skill. He, yeah. he could only do a certain thing, certain hours a day. Mm-hmm. He had dinner with us every night. Mm-hmm. And he was very, very happy in his world because he came from, he, he was a, a child from ages 8 to 12 during mm-hmm. World War II, r- running from first the Americans and then the Germans right. during the war. Right. So his life simplicity was a family. Different right? world, yeah. Yeah. So I'm only one generation from that. Right. So I think for me it was drive was what came just naturally and competitiveness. I I was in a world IBM made that the best. And again, college I went to a Catholic high school where yes. All boys, pretty competitive. And then I was fortunate to go to Princeton, where I was probably the dumbest guy in the school. Right. Although all my buddies think they were. So we joke to this day that which one of us was the, the dumbest, dumbest guy, guy in the school. school. So that's it. where drive comes yeah. from, right? You put yourself in situations beyond your yes, ability. You f- make yourself the underdog even when you may not be. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's always been my situation. I love that. I love that. Cause... I really appreciate you coming on. Any any final words you'd want to leave with the audience? It's been fun. Well, I got to tell you, as as you know, uh, I know your founder, and, and and he's a very special guy, and and I love being around him and his family, and I the hear things I hear about this company are just exciting and and fun, and it sounds like people love being here, and you know, love being a part of it, and. I'm just flattered that you guys asked me to chat a little bit, and it's fun for me because, as I said, I've been retired a couple of years, so. Once in a while, there's yeah. somebody that cares about yeah, hearing. No, I Maybe love even it. my kids will listen in yes. a few minutes well, and go, oh, yeah, we heard that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> times. But thank you. No, I enjoyed it. I pre- appreciate it. Thanks for carving out the time. And uh, we loved having you on. Thanks for the kind words. And uh, let's stay in touch. I think, yeah. I, I think we've got some sales learning to do on our end here. So I'd, I'd love doing appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Thank you.